the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're going to talk in a couple of moments about the ingredients to healthy aging, which will lead us to the Claude Pepper Center at Florida State University. Carol Zerniel is executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. She's the past chair of the board of directors of the National Council on the Aging. Carol has been a member of the Ray's Family Caregiving Advisory Council under the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. She has a master's degree in social gerontology with nearly 30 years experience in the field of aging or caregiving. She is one of Next Avenue's top 50 influencers on aging. And Carol, you are a big Claude Pepper fan and we'll hear from you about your Claude Pepper story that I know you want to share with us, but let's introduce Dawn Carr. Uh, who is the director of the Claude Pepper Center, a research center at Florida State University. It focuses on policy-related aging issues. She's also associate professor at Florida State University in the Department of Sociology and a thought leader in the field of aging. Dawn Carr regularly presents her research to a range of audiences through keynote speeches and a whole lot more. And she was a researcher at the Stanford Center on Longevity, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and earned her PhD in social gerontology and a whole lot more uh, from Miami University. And Dawn Carr, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. How did you end up focusing uh, on aging? Well, uh I think there were a lot of paths. Sometimes when you look back on your life and you you don't take a straight path from one, one idea to the next. And and I was on a path to doing something very different. And I got my bachelor's degree um, in uh, music performance and was a classical trumpet player for a long time and um, had a dental injury that caused me to lose feeling in my bottom lip. And I had to find another career path and um, started looking around. And my husband got a job at Miami University that led me to have the opportunity to go back to school. And I went around and started talking to, to faculty in different areas and met the folks in the gerontology department and was completely enamored by what they had to say. It's fascinating stuff. And uh, it turns out aging is one of the most interesting things I think you can study. And it's something we all will do. 
Yes, we all. Yeah, I, we're lucky. When, I love it when guests say that. See, we know the secret, right? Those of us who've worked yeah. in technology, you know, that it is you get to meet all of the interesting people. Um, and there's just, you know, it's such a it's a wide open area, so many different things. Um, but I, I'm impressed that you went from musical performance to gerontology. You never know all people's hidden um, talents uh, that, that they bring with them. Hard to well, play I, the trumpet without a lower lip, right? <laughs> it is hard to do. But I, <laughs> you know, I started off by talking to older people um, who played music and and then continued to <laughs> learn that the people that were doing uh, work like playing music and other meaningful activities were some of the healthiest people that you could run into. Well, I never, you know, I never had the opportunity to meet Claude Pepper, but I always, I was, I was like a groupie, a Claude Pepper groupie in my gerontology program. I, I studied his legislation. I did my master's thesis on mandatory retirement and, and the whole concept of retirement. Um, and uh, when I was with the National Council on Aging, we had the honor of giving away the Claude Pepper Award um, for a number of years. Uh, with the Claude Pepper Foundation. And so to me, that was just the having you on the show, you're part of a long thread of, you know, uh, of work, your own work, but the idea of giving visibility to older adults and value to older adults and being willing to to delve in and dedicate your life. I mean, so you're part of that thread as well. And that's why, we, you know, we're thrilled to have you. And for those who don't know, what is the Claude Pepper Center all about? What do you all do and how do you do it? Yeah, the Claude Pepper Center is um, an endowed research center that focuses on policy related um, issues that support aging and older adults. So this is uh, relates to things that influence our well-being across the life course because you don't just magically arrive in later life and, you know, kind of have to fix the problems there, although some people try. Um, but, but thinking about the, the ways in which our society and the, the different programs that are available, how they shape uh, all the steps that we, we take to get to later life and, and how, um, what opportunities we have once we get there. So, you know, the goal is to help people live long and healthy lives, but also making sure that the, the lives that they have are meaningful and that they're able to stay engaged, you know, as long as they, they want to. Well, I want to talk with you in a moment about what the ingredients to healthy aging are all about. But first, for folks who may have just joined us, I want you to know you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with Dawn Carr, director of the Claude Pepper Center, a research center at Florida State University. And we're talking about the kind of work she is involved in, including uh, policy work and more. So, Dawn, what's the prescription? Give me the, uh, you know, the 411 on uh, the ingredients to healthy aging. Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot of different people who would tell you lots of different things. But I'll tell you some of the things that people often don't think about. So, uh, you know, you hear a lot about what kind of food or drinks or exercises that you should do. And, and those things have importance, of course. But, but what we often don't think about is how we use our time and what kinds of activities we are engaging in, how we feel about those, and how we're engaging in activities that are meaningful to us. 
And this almost always involves relationships with other people. So doing things that that matter um, and being around people that matter to us is a critical part of healthy aging. Um, there's all kinds of evidence that our brains are influenced by the things we do over the whole course of our lives, the kind of work we do. Um, and uh, things like volunteering are particularly helpful. But but all of that connects back to doing things that we find meaningful and doing uh, work that allows us to build meaningful connections with other people and things. So talk a little bit about how we, for a caregiver, right? So we're always mm -hmm. telling our caregivers, don't isolate, don't isolate, don't isolate, which is you're saying, you know, it could be detrimental. So what what would your message be to a caregiver who might not see that opportunity? Yeah, it's hard when you're caregiving because you're in a, a period of time in which you have less control over your, your time. There's, there's someone there that needs you, and that's very meaningful. But sometimes you aren't able to get those other outside connections. And I will say, you were talking about what brought me to aging, and, and caregiving was one of them. My mother had cancer, and my grandmother had cancer during college, and I was a caregiver for them at a very young age. And I remember very clearly um, the challenges that that I had at, at, a, at a young age, I'd probably be a little better at that now, but it's very difficult when you're in the middle of providing everyday care to another person intensively to take a step back and say, meeting my own needs uh, in other activities is important. And if you look at the data, caregivers who are engaged in paid work and caregivers who are engaged in other meaningful activities have better health and longer term are better off and better able to care for their loved ones. So it's not really about, you know, thinking you're going to be selfish if you take some time to yourself. It's actually good for the person you're caring for to make sure you're protecting your health and your mental well-being and making sure you can breathe and feel good. You know, wearing multiple hats um, in your everyday life is better for you in general. Wow. I'm going to just underline all of that. I hope all the caregivers are hearing that because I think, you know, we you, we do feel guilty, right? That one minute we took for ourselves is a minute we took away from the person that we're caring for without realizing that it is that, you know, the, the fact that we didn't breathe, that we didn't do something else, we didn't take care of ourselves, that is you know, works against us. And one of the tragedies, of course, is a number of caregivers predecease uh, the care recipient, the one that they are providing that care for, uh, which leaves that care recipient uh, in even more danger. And so your point, uh, Don Carr, is you really need to look out for yourself. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think it's really common for people to struggle with taking care of themselves when they're providing care to others because they don't feel like that's as high of a priority. But, um, you know, it's it's really not good when you when you have years and years of stress um, and not giving yourself a break. By the time you're able to look up and, and breathe, you're you know you're not in a position where you can continue to be a good caregiver anymore. And that's the whole point and the reason you're doing it. I want to talk to you in just a moment about what is old and what kind of definitions we work with. Uh, the other day I was interviewing a, uh, a doctor who specialized in hospice and palliative care who said the new term for older people is 
old, old who are 85 and over. And I remember when I was a kid, man, 60 was old. Talk about what was old and how you get there. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking with Dawn Carr at the Claude Pepper Center at Florida State University. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air with our co-host, Carol Zernia. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. We're so pleased you're sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. We're talking about the ingredients to healthy aging. Our special guest, uh, Dawn Carr, Ph.D., director of the Claude Pepper Center at Florida State University. And, Dawn, uh, what is old? I remember as a kid, uh, my grandparents in their late 50s and 60s looked old. I thought we're old. Uh, today, you're a kid at 50 or 60. Yeah, so if you talk to a gerontologist, they're going to be the first one to tell you that when when we think about aging, a number isn't particularly meaningful. So this chronological age of what it means to be old in general is pretty useless. It's important when you're young, when you're figuring out if you can drive or drink or rent a car or other things. But there's a point at which the variations from one person to the next can cause one person at 40 to have all kinds of health problems and struggles and somebody else who's in their 80s still running marathons. I don't know if you heard this, this oldest person ever finishing the Ironman race and uh, at 79 recently. So there, there's all kinds of variation. But, but there is a point at which when you reach your 80s that most people start to experience physical frailty. And that's actually an age when we start paying particular attention. I mean, their bodies change. They absolutely change. Um, so in your 80s, this frailty becomes becomes problematic. You have problems with your muscles getting smaller and your bones starting to get not as strong. And even those people running races and staying active do experience some of those struggles. So yeah, that's one way to look at aging. And then the second way is whoever's 10 years older than you, is old and you're not. And that's usually depends on your age, but that's, that's a pretty good rule of thumb as well. So at the Claude Pepper uh, uh, Center, can't you just develop a new juice we can all take that'll let us live forever? I, you know, people keep asking me for this. I, usually it's a pill rather than a juice, but no, there's, there's definitely not a juice that we can, we can drink. And I, I think people are always looking for that. They're, they're so, uh, un interested in finding out that in order to age well, turns out you have to do stuff and you have to prepare in advance and you can't just take a pill. But there's, but we know a lot. We do know a lot of things that are helpful. You have to do stuff. Go ahead, Carol. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I'm curious, you know, how, how things have changed since maybe when you started, when you first got into this field to now do whether it's attitudes or the focus of the research what's different now than when you started 
One thing that di- is that's different is that when I say I'm a gerontologist, people seem to know what that means today. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that people never heard the term. And they may have heard of geriatrics, but gerontologists were kind of new on the scene. And even though in like the 1980s, everyone was talking about the importance of of having experts who understand aging because the, the population's getting older, it's really only recently that I think people are starting to really pay more attention to the study of aging and realizing that look around, we've got a lot of older people. And I'm in Florida. You know, we've ah. got... You know, like one in three people is over 60 here. Um, and and there's a lot of interest in figuring out what we can do to help older people so that they can have a better quality of life and their families can enjoy all of their many um, skills and abilities and, and love for as long as they can. So was COVID, the whole COVID period, is that a detour? Is that a complete hard turn in the road for aging? That's a good question. So during the beginnings of COVID, I actually talked to a lot of people um, in the early stages where they were paying attention to things like nursing homes. We were Everyone was very concerned about the fact that we shut down nursing homes and that we weren't letting people in. And this was a big problem. There were there were a lot of insights I think we gained from, from COVID, especially in these kinds of institutions where we saw large numbers of deaths. And even, even outside of COVID itself, we started seeing a lot of people being aware of the consequences of social isolation. And, um, you know, it wasn't just related to aging and older adults particularly, but there was a lot of awareness around just just how detrimental loneliness is. And we're at a high level of loneliness, which accelerates aging. You know, when we're not feeling good and connected with others, we don't do well. And that, that has a pretty potent effect. But one of the other things I think that COVID did is people expected the worst outcomes to be with older adults. And the thing is, yes, they were at higher risk of death and they were at higher risk of, of getting sick. But the ones who survived and did well actually emotionally handled that social isolation better than other people. It was younger people, actually, who struggled the most. So I think there were some new insights about, you know, when we get older, we're better at managing our emotions. We're better at seeing the big picture. We can see difficult things and be like, oh, yeah, I've seen hard stuff before. I know how to handle this stuff. We're, we're better often at handling the bumps in the road. And as you think about the lessons learned from COVID, is that translating into how we approach aging in some ways today? I think it can, um, but I'm not sure whether it has. Uh, I think one one area that I think a lot of people um, probably are paying more attention to is what's important to them. You know, I think especially in the early phases, there was this like life came to a halt and people went, oh, look what I don't miss. Um, and I think there was a time when we got used to like having a, like a breather. Um, but then when we came back, we started figuring out what stuff we really needed to be okay. And I think in terms of aging research, we've become more attuned to the fact that, um, we have to be paying attention, uh, to the things that, that, um, help us feel good now these emotional kind of well-being and, and how we handle stressors. 
Um, so some of my work recently with, with my colleagues has been like, I'm looking at psychological resilience. And it's a remarkable thing. Um, if you if you measure people's psychological resilience sort of as as a combination of a whole bunch of things like um, uh, how your, what we call mastery and your ability to do things and, and kind of thinking about how you handle setbacks and sense of control. Holy cow, your resilience is something that is very predictive of not just how you handle setbacks, of but how you handle aging processes in general. So our psychological well-being that, that we have when we arrive in later life, which is related to things like dealing with the COVID and things like that, have an impact on how our brains change as we get older, how our bodies change, how, what kind of health behaviors we engage in. Um, these are all really critical things. And I think COVID really shined a light on the importance of how we cultivate our sense of resilience. Before we run out of time, I'm, I'm curious about uh, some of the public policy issues that uh, the Claude Pepper Center is looking at, uh, because as you pointed out, look around in Florida and elsewhere, there are a lot of older people. How are we dealing with issues on ageism and issues that are discriminatory toward older people? And what are your policy objectives? Yeah, I I think that what you're talking about is really important. I was having a discussion the other day about ageism and, and and it was a discussion about why is it that people are so um uninterested often in talking about aging and why aren't we prioritizing things that help us age better and setting up including policies and my answer was ageism i think we're so nervous about talking about the the challenges that lie ahead we were you know what's going to happen when we stop having physical abilities and People are all terrified of death, but they're actually more afraid of losing their abilities before they die. So I think that's part of it. And, and in terms of paying attention to policy, I think we have to be paying attention to, and, and some of the priorities we have is related to things like um, older workers issues. We, we often think about aging and we think of when we're sick, but there's a lot of life that happens before we get sick and often need care from others. It's, we, you know, it's not an unimportant uh, issue, the time when we need care, but there's a lot of time beforehand. And that's important as well, being able to, to stay actively engaged in work activities. If you look around, we have some of, of the best examples ever, the, the oldest members of, of the legislature than we've ever had, for example. Well, you have a president who's older. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and, and that's something else that came out of COVID. I remember the articles on organizations turning to older workers uh, yes. because A, they were willing to work and B, they could manage complex tasks. They could hit the floor running. Um, and so all of a sudden they were appreciated. I'm not sure if it's like the, the women who in World War II had to give up their jobs and go back home, um, if that's happening in the workplace now. But it certainly was interesting to even see a headline that talked about the importance of older workers. Absolutely. There's a uh, issue very, very much happening now. There are a lot of industries where the average worker is 55 or older in those industries. This is happening all over and helping older adults remain engaged in paid work is, is helpful to the labor force and to transfer of knowledge in general. There are a lot of other 
policy issues to pay attention to. But I think often we we neglect thinking about um, things like our retirement policies um, and their importance. So, you know, preparing for work and preparing for the, the time after work is an, a, a critical part of, of, of aging policy right now. We're talking about it a lot, Social Security, um, health care. These are all big, big issues. But um, helping people remain engaged in work and be prepared for retirement is, is a critical issue for sure. You mentioned ageism, and yet older people continue to be the butt of jokes of comedians yeah. and talk show hosts across the country. Yeah, that's the last ism we're allowed to keep. It seems like people are allowed to continue to, to use. You know, you can't make jokes around all kinds of other social groups. But, yep, there's still lots of jokes related to, to older adults. Hopefully we, talk, we can change that. You talk about employment, and, and very often on TV, they'll throw up a picture of a greeter at a Walmart as if that's mm-hmm. the only job seniors can now qualify themselves for. Yeah, really, I mean, if that makes people happy, that's fine. But certainly older workers are are some of the most uh, important members of our labor force today. If folks want to learn more about uh, your organization, uh, how do they find out about the Claude Pepper uh, Center and, and where can they go for that? Well, you can certainly uh, go to the website that we have for Claude Pepper Center at Florida State. Um, and uh, and then they, they're also welcome to reach out to me and ask me any questions they'd like as well. We're, uh, we've been uh, a center at Florida State University for um, over three decades, and we have a lot more to go. Carol, you get the last word. No, I just want to say thank you to Don, and I hope people will check out the website and some of the work being done at the Pepper Center. Thank you. Thank we you. really appreciate you being here, uh, Don Carr, PhD, gerontologist. And uh, uh, I laugh because Carol often pointed out that at a cocktail party, you said you were a gerontologist and the conversation stopped. Maybe, as Don was saying, that's no longer true. Thanks for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. For Carol Zerniel, we'll talk with you soon. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.